Welcome to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, where we celebrate the craft of poetry. Each week, we feature interviews with incredible poets and artists, including Olivia Gatwood and A.E. Stallings, and original poetry read by the authors. I'm your host, James Moorhead, poet laureate of Dublin, California, and author of Canvas and Portraits of Red and Gray. Lisa Marie Simmons is a Boulder, Colorado native, singer-songwriter, essayist, and published poet currently based in Italy. She recently joined the Grammy award-winning artist signed to the American label Ropadope Records, who released her poetic musical album Notespeak in March 2020, which received a four-star review from the iconic Downbeat magazine. The American debut of Notespeak was at the Z Jaipur Literature Festival in Boulder, Colorado in September 2017. She was invited to be a speaker and performer at the 70th Conference on World Affairs at the University of Colorado in April 2018. In November 2019, she presented Notespeak in Italy, Austria, and Prague. In January 2020, she presented Notespeak in India on the Jaipur music stage. For more information on her published essays, stories, and poems scattered across the Webiverse, head to her website. See our show notes for details. Her music can be found wherever you listen online. I'm excited to welcome Lisa Marie Simmons all the way from Italy to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast. So, Lisa, when do you when do you first remember writing poetry, and when did creating poetry become part of your identity? Um, first of all, thank you so much for that introduction. I'm, I'm really happy to be here with you. Um, when did I first start writing poetry? Uh, gosh, I wrote really, really bad poetry um, from the time that I was in junior high school, let's say. Um, I, I started writing poetry and then it quickly evolved into writing songs. Um, but really with a poetic bent, you know, I grew up, um, my mother listened to a lot of folk music. So mm. Bob Dylan, um, Joni Mitchell, uh, Joan Baez, um, James Taylor, all very poetic writers, you know. Um, so that was a huge influence on me. And then on my father's side was the jazz um, bent. But I'm, I'm very much a wordsmith. And I think that that has, was a huge contribution, that as well as literature. Um, was a huge influence on me. And, you know, my, my mother would read to us when we were children. Um, and so that had a, a huge influence on my imagination and the power of the pictures that you can create um, with wordplay. So your backstory is extraordinary of being adopted, abused, and abandoned, uh, the racism of your adopted grandparents, and ultimately meeting your birth family. It's just incredible to read. So anyone listening to this podcast, definitely Google Lisa Marie Simmons and, and read her backstory. How has that story influenced your writing? Oh, gosh, uh, in so many different ways. Um, I think it's been it's been healing to be able to write because it's a way of, that I have processed um, it, everything that sort of happened as it, as it came along, you know, um, and, and not just through writing, but as I was saying before about music and literature, those were kind of things that opened up my world, allowed me to see that there was something beyond 
what I was living in, and also to relate to others who um, have gone through traumatic events, right? So it really created empathy, um, learning about and listening to uh, and reading, and then doing it myself was a great way to process everything that I, that I sort of was going through. I lost your question. You were saying, how did it influence my writing? Um, and 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 so I also have this a great drive to speak to others to do that same thing that was done for me when I was listening to those songs or having the radio close up to my head while while there was fighting in the other room and that was something I could dive into um, and I want to do the same for anybody else who might be listening to whatever it is that I have to say and I um, so that is a huge part of my creative process is, is thinking of the listener. So you've, you've used your words and music, not just to entertain, but to support causes you care about. I'm thinking of ampersand families as an example. Uh, when writing, how do you balance your poetry and music with a message you are trying to convey and make sure the poetry still shines through along with the message? Oh, that's such a beautiful question. Nobody's ever asked me anything like that. Um, it is. It's all a balancing act, though, isn't it? The writing, um, especially when you're trying to, to do it with music. And, and we very much, um, as far as the poetic project is concerned, um, we want to make sure that they're really intricately entwined, you know, not just this is a poem and here's some music and then we put it together. We really, we write them together, but that's a whole different um, thing. As far as um, causes that I care deeply about, I... I work with whoever it is that I that I'm that has commissioned uh, the piece to see what is their the message that they want um, out there more than anything else, and then just to find the prettiest way <laughs> to, to 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 impart that message with with the most efficacy as well. Mm -hmm. You know, because you don't want to alienate, and that's and that's I think it stood me really in really good stead that I'm a song, songwriter as well. Because writing songs is you have just this little teeny tiny space, the same way as you do in poetry, to say a lot, to say so much, right? Um, so it's just about getting to the heart of the matter um, in a way that will reach the widest audience possible as far as doing work for um, NGOs and things like that, you know? Um, so... And it's the same way when I'm speaking about my sort of personal intimate details, I don't want to alienate anyone and I don't want to dump on mm -hmm. anyone. Right. So that that's, that's about finding the beauty in the message and, and in a way that's relatable. And also I think it's great when the listener can, can take their own meaning from it, that you're not spoon feeding um, the meaning. So mm -hmm. I, it's, it's just a, it's a, a delicate uh, balance through all of that. Oh, that that's terrific. And I want to uh, go a little deeper on something you started to talk about, which is the, the differences between poetry and words set to music and poetry and music. And I'm thinking of an interview with Billy Collins where he uh, he talked about a couple of his, he got arm twisted to have a couple of his poems set to music that weren't originally intended to be set to music. And he said they it didn't work very well. And he also had a poem uh, animated, which is what triggered my inspiration to get one of my poems animated and that works much better right um so i'm curious how is is it what's different what's the same about writing words to stand alone and writing words that are intended to be backed or incorporated into music 
Yeah, I'd get, again, a beautiful question. And um, it's really interesting what you said about, um, yeah, the animation. I think the visual element really helps if, if they're two separate things, the music and the poetry. But um, uh, I'm very much inspired by people like Gil Scott Heron um, and his poetry and music that he worked really closely with everyone that he, that was in the band to create these things. And, and that's what Marco and I do as well. Um, because it's, it's all about rhythm, isn't it? Even if you're, if I'm writing a poem that's going to stand alone, um, and actually we can sort of, uh, the poems that I'll read after this, this uh, segment, um, one of them was written to stand alone and one was written with music in mind. And I, and I, so that might be a, a good example for you, but, um, it's just an internal rhythm when I'm not writing with music, you know, or I'm, I'm working on a very specific structure and, and, and finding my rhythm in that when I'm working with music, I want, I want the, the echo of the words to be in the music and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Like I, both the music can stand alone that Marco writes and my poetry, I hope can stand alone, but they are exponentially greater when they're entwined. Yeah. So uh, building on that, uh, you're a member of hippie tendencies and note speak. And in those contexts, it's a collaboration. Although when I've, uh, when I write poetry, I'm part of a poetry critique group. I actually have a poetry coach who I workshop with That's and, fantastic. And and actually, I'm interviewing him for uh, he's in an upcoming episode of this podcast. Terrific guy. Um, Great, I'll, I'll look out for that. Yes, yes. Um, so the how does that collaboration influ- with musicians influence the poetry? And do they are there situations where they go look? Could you something needs to change here because it's challenging our ability to to get the music right? Um, does that happen? Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, so basically Marco is, um, who's my partner, is the pianist and the arranger of um, the Note Speak and Hippie Tendency songs. So we live together and work together. And um, often what we do is I'm at the top of the house in my office and he's downstairs in the studio and I can hear him sometimes working on something and it'll infiltrate into to, into my work. And we we have been working together for so long um, that we are really connected and he's the best um, partner I've had to, to collaborate with. So we do workshop the, the, the material together before it even gets to the other musicians. Like it's just the two of us. And there might be something that he just thinks doesn't work or that I don't, that I think doesn't work. And we, we collaborate in many ways. Sometimes I will bring um, a musical phrase to him and sometimes he'll give me um, a great idea or concept for a poem. So it's it's a great collaboration because we both do, we both work on both things. Um, and as far as the poetry is concerned, when I'm really happy with a poem, he is the one who adapts. He doesn't, he doesn't expect me to, when I've gotten to the place where I'm like, this I think is, is beautiful and perfect. He agrees with me and, and we will adapt the music to reflect um, the poetry. That's normally how we do it. But you know, everyone is different. Every, every poem is different, honestly. You know, we have just different processes, but um, over dinner each night, we just talk about the progress that we're making on the, on the project that we are currently involved in and inspire each other. um, And and it, it informs 
both his work and mine and, and helps us. And we both know each other so well now as well that I kind of know where he's going to go. He um, sometimes just sends me the music first and that inspires me mm-hmm. to write. So it depends, <laughs> it depends on the poem. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, some, I know some poets I've spoken to, they, they get really stressed out about prompts and some sort of commission. I'm the opposite. Give me a prompt. Oh, my goodness. Give me a starting point and I'll figure out, the, I'll find the poetry in it. Um, yeah. So I was, I, I was. I think all, you know, I think I love to work in many different ways because mm-hmm. I think it keeps it fresh. I yeah. think if you get into a rut of only wanting to write this way, um, I think that your, the work tends to then be very similar. You know, whereas if you are able to get out of outside of your comfort zone and 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 do it in a different way, it, um, it can really, for me personally, as as a as a writer, it really helps me to grow. Totally agree. So I I binged a whole bunch of your music preparing for this oh, interview, which is totally wonderful. Actually, that was it was not work. Uh, so sometimes you sing, sometimes it's spoken word, sometimes it's a mix. Um, how do you choose which works better for a piece of music or a portion of piece, or is it completely intuitive? It's not something you're conscious of. That's, uh, that's again, super interesting. Um, well, so usually what happens is we have a project in mind, like identity for hippie tendencies. I was really focused on, um, I was looking for, well, I hadn't started looking for my birth parents at that point. I was sort of just, um, questioning what my identity was, right? So I had this um, concept for the album and I wanted it all sung because it's such heavy material. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted that contrast where where that it could lighten it up a bit with um, singing it, you know? Um, and as far as the, spoke, the, the spoken word that followed with note speak um, here, it, I was really inspired by um, a piece that was on identity that we adapted um, from Joni Mitchell, um, Joan Baez, excuse me, um, who wrote for um, uh, Sacco Vanzetti, there's the, the film. So there, I, I, you know the story of Sacco and Vanzetti who were, who were killed in America for a crime they didn't commit, um, which will lead us, it's a nice segue to my yeah, poem. Yeah. But, uh, so we took two songs from the film and we combined them and they and it comes from letters that Vanzetti was sending to his father in Italy um, and they were so beautiful these letters and he was really um, just sort of accepting their fate and um, and trying to reassure his father and and still didn't lose his faith in humanity right and so we combined these letters um, with a, a part that was sung um, and mostly I just declaimed these letters and on stage with hippie tendencies. And we were astounded by the reaction of the public. Um, we, we use these to talk about immigration because here in Italy, there is such a debate about all the people mm-hmm. who arrive um, via Lampedusa and so many people who condemn those um those immigrants, you know, and I, and we use that to sort of say, well, listen, you know, you <laughs> not so long ago were in the same situation going into the United States. So we, we wanted to open that conversation and, and it really struck a chord with audiences. And so that made me want to continue to explore the spoken. And I'll add that, um, 
I, I was saying earlier that with songs, you're trying to get to an essence and try to pare things down. With spoken, I feel like I have a lot more room mm -hmm. to be a, a, a lot more sort of in your face and direct. And it's the it's the 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 format, the medium allows that. So it was nice to have that freedom and not be quite parsing my words quite so much. No, I really enjoyed uh, that both were incorporated because it's uh, they're different tools and they have different tones. It's very interesting to hear how you 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 did think about it. So you're in Italy, which uh, my wife's Italian. I've been back to Italy many many times. Um, and next time we'll, you'll have to come visit. We'll have to have a dinner. Um, absolutely. I am. Uh, I, I am just itching to get on an international flight when COVID is less of a, of a, of a factor. I just, I just love Italy so much. So Italy's renowned for its art and architecture, its people. How did you find your way to Italy and how has life in Italy influenced your art? Oh gosh. Okay. So the way I found my way to Italy is a super long, I have a very long, um, uh, answer to that and I'll make it really short. I, I went from Boulder, Colorado to New York city um, where I studied theater and art and music. And then I went from New York City to France, to Jean Le Pin uh, and Valenciennes in the north. And then I went from France to Saint-Martin, which uh, on the French side of the island. And then from there, I went to Amsterdam, to Holland. I lived there for a couple of years. And then I went from there to South America, uh, Central America, where I met my ex-husband and um, he's Italian. And so then I came to Italy and I, I my ex-husband and I split up, but my band by that time was put together, Hippie Tendencies, and um, and that was my family. And so I didn't leave. I just got stuck here. As far as how it's informed my art, um, uh, in so many ways. I mean, it's it's a, all of these cultures, all of these different cultures. And, and one of the things, and this also will lead is a good segue to one of the poems that I'll read afterwards, um, is the more, I think that the more that you travel, the more that we you realize how much we have in common, how similar we are. For all of the beauty of each different culture, the reality is we all fall in love. We all, you know, um, get angry. We all um, are curious. We all, there's so, it, like, the human nature and what what binds us, I find fascinating and beautiful. Um, and then the other thing that about Italy is... Um, is the fact of Afro-Italians, um, the fact that people think of Italy and think only of white people. And there's this whole world there that I find fascinating and has really had a huge impact on my the work of late. Terrific. You've brought uh, poetry to share, so I'll hand the mic over to you and then we'll talk about them. Okay, excellent. This first one is called Last Supper. Give me some steak and eggs with toast or that crispy fried chicken, tea, coffee, and a Coke. Sometimes it's all eaten. Sometimes it's left there. Believe it can't ever be. It's never, ever fair. Food that has no sustenance that sticks in your craw, though James and Peter, John and Andrew will tell you that it's law. Baked potatoes sliced in half, butter oozing through southern meal just for you. Salt rubbed on the wound just shut up now and chew enchiladas sausages ribs and tater tots george junius and leo jones just two among the lot truth ain't what they got murder 
fought with murder, all done in his name, dead and done now, buried deep. Who we gotta blame? The innocent, the guilty sat up on the block, murder fought with murder, tick, tick, tock. Odell Barnes' last meal, the richest of them all, he called and called for justice and please equality. For dessert, he asked solemnly for peace around the world. And individually one is the next poem. The Blue Throat's song, trillingly clear and sweet, though one heartbeat in flight, they're each unique. While we remain here tethered still and weak, convinced that we are made just to compete, believing there's a hierarchy to seat, we tussle wreaking havoc as we shriek. Without our sense of self, there's no mystique. But we should know by now there's no elite. Undulate rainbows, merging colored fins, attuned to each other, they swim as one. Our beauty lies within these suits of skins, intrinsic nature. Everything is sun. Thank you so much. Those are both beautiful and so so different. Um, so we'll start with Last Supper. So Last Supper immediately brought to mind the mission of the Innocence Project, how they seek to tell the stories of the wrongly incarcerated. And I immediately Googled the names Odell Barnes, George Junius, Leo Jones after reading the poem. There are so many tragic stories you could weave into your poem. How did you choose these stories? Oh my gosh. So um, there's a wonderful, um, I, I love the Innocent Project. I'm, I'm a supporter as well. And I, I agree with you on that. And, and I just came across a, um, a work of photography by a, gal, a guy called Henry Hargreaves. And um, it's called The Last Meals of Death Row Inmates. So look that up. And um, he just took, he found out what the last meals of many inmates were and then took photographs of them. And it's, um, it's very striking and, and very uh, emotional to look at. And so I looked through those and was inspired by those. And then um, I thought in this piece, I wanted to represent both people who, um, who had been wrongly accused and um, executed, um, as well as those who perhaps probably did commit their crimes, because I believe that it is never, right to murder someone and i don't believe that in capital punishment you know at all so i thought it would be good to 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 find um different cases you know um and then the last the the reason that that um it ends up with um odell barnes is because he is the one that probably did do his crime but um in the the last thing that he asked for for his meal, he asked for specifically, he asked for justice, equality, and world peace. Hmm. That that was his request for his last meal. So I thought that was a fitting end to the to the poem. And yeah, and the other two that are in it are are because they were innocent, and it's just so tragic, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm struck by the simplicity of the poem and how that simplicity and straightforward, unembellished telling makes the message even more powerful. Um, what is your approach to revising and editing a poem like this where, and you've talked about this earlier, you're kind of getting the tone right, the balance, the sensitivity of it, um, having people be able to think beyond the poem, but at the same point, there is a core message here. I mean, there's a lot that you're wrestling with, and yet you end up with this beautifully sim simple and powerful piece. So what was the 
revision and editing process for this poem. Thank you so much. That's really kind of you to say. It, um, I, I tend to do a ton of research for every single poem. I'm, I, I really try to get to dig deep, deep into that. And that helps when you're in the editing process, at least for me, because um, the more research I do, uh, the more information that I have, and, and, and I'm able to, to sort of weave through all that and find what has struck me most deeply, you know? Um, so that, first of all, before I even get to the editing process, I think that research for me is really, really important. Um, and then as far as editing is concerned, it's, I edit and edit and edit and edit a, a ton. And I just, um, I think one of the most helpful things for me is, is the reading of it aloud, alone in my room. Um, and every poem or every subject matter requires a different, a different approach. And I think um, that being very sort of simple and direct with this um, made made sense because we all know what you know. As soon as you hear the Last Supper, you can think about what that means. And and I, whatever poem I do, even if it is simplistic, I try to write in layers so that each time you read it, you're going to take something more from it. So that that is really an important part of the editing editing process. Like, did is this too simplistic? Like now that I've decided that this, because of the subject matter, um, a direct approach is the best approach, is it too direct? And mm -hmm. am I, you know, so I just continue to question myself um, and try to get all those important details that I've searched for in the, in the research process into the poem. Wonderful. So uh, just a couple more things. So individually, one is rich in rhymes. Uh, couplet, yeah. Couplets are hard enough in English. So you went even further and had the first eight lines rhyme. Um, how did you approach the rhyming challenge in this poem? And did part of you wish you'd written in Italian where, let's face it, the rhyming is a lot easier in Italian. <laughs> it's so true. So true. Um, I don't write in Italian, though I'm fluent um, in Italian. But I, I don't write because I just it doesn't feel natural um, mm -hmm. to me. And I've never even uh, really approached it. But I just I'm, I'm so in love with the English language. And so... And, and I love rhyming because it's such a challenge because to, to, to stay away from the trite and the banal, you know, and, and try to uh, to do something different and new. So I, I, I love rhyming. Um, and uh, I thought that, that it was appropriate here to, to rhyme because I'm talking about unity. You know, and, and, and for this poem, I was I was inspired by, um, I'm surely going to mess up his name. His name is Akutagawa. Akutagawa. Um, he's called the father of the Japanese short story. And he mm. has a, a quote that is, um, individually, we are one drop. Together, we are an ocean. And, um, and then I was thinking of the fact that birds are a symbol of the human soul. Right. So so starting out with those and, and, and thinking of unity, it seems to me it makes sense to 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 rhyme because it gives a sense of it gives a sense of unity, at least mm -hmm. to me, um, uh, as we do it. And yeah, you're right. It's it's it not at all um, simple to do if you want to try to avoid the trite. But um, but it's just a great challenge. and It's a really fun, fun way to work. Terrific. 
And just one I last question. Oh, that's no, that's perfect. That's perfect. I'm just I'm always fascinated by the thought process behind behind poetry. So one last thing. What do you what are you working on now that has you really excited? Okay, well, those two poems that you heard are, are um, going to be on the new Note Speak album. So, you know, it's interesting for me to because I, I have them in my head with the music and I read them differently than they will be heard on the album. Um, uh, the um, Last Supper also has a part that's sung to it that I did not um, include in this reading. Uh, so, that, so I'm working on that. And then I also have a project... Um, that I, uh, an album that's going to be coming out soon with a guy called um, Johnny Cazzola, who is an Italian drummer. He's 85 years old. And I had this magical concert with him. We'd never met. I don't remember how we ended up having this concert, but either he called me or I called him uh, for a last minute gig um, that somebody had canceled. And we just did a, a covers, a bunch of covers. And this, he is the only drummer who's worked with Billie Holiday, Chet mm. Baker, Eartha Kitt, all these great, wonderful, classic. And he's just a, he's just a little piece of history, right? So we had this, this show in this open piazza couple years ago and it was just one of those magical nights where the audience and the band were just communicating we never played together it was just there was candles out um on the piazza and people just sat down and really and really got into it so after that we said okay we've got a good vibe going on we should make it he, he said we got to make an album together so we took um time to do that and we did it in the old-fashioned way with all of us in a room you know, and what comes out comes out since we had that experience on stage. So we just finished recording that and we'll be putting that out soon enough. And uh, and then, yeah, and then I'll speak too. And then I'm working on an outline for my book because I'm going to be writing about all that stuff, that background that you were talking about. So I've been working on that as well. I'll, I've got a lot of essays that I put out um, all across the Webiverse. And um, those are in um those are my sort of planning for the book that's amazing so lisa marie simmons it has been a privilege having you on the viewless wings poetry podcast and the show notes there'll be links to all the things and i'm so excited to hear more from note speak and read your book and everything else you have uh, on on your plate James, I am, you know, when I do interviews with people like you who I admire, I like, I wanted to have spent, spent time talking about your poetry. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really love your work. You know it. Um, and I just, it was a, it was a joy for me. So thank you very much for having me. Oh, the same for me. Thank you so much. Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast is written and produced by James Moorhead. You can follow me on Twitter at Dublin Ranch, subscribe to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, and follow us on viewlesswings.com or on Instagram at viewlesswings.com.